What's up, good people? It is Friday. We are releasing this episode late. I apologize for that. We recorded on Wednesday night, and things have just been busy. I also apologize for the second week in a row for my audio being dog water. I have a new office set up. My microphone was not set up correctly. So uh, I fixed that. That won't happen again. But uh, this was a good episode. We were short a few hands. It was just me and Scott. But we talked about all the good stuff going on in college football right now. We talked about Oregon and Georgia. We talked about what's going on at Clemson with their quarterback room. Some other fun games that happened. LSU, Florida State. Um, we also got to talk about a little bit of MLB. Yes, this is a sports podcast. It's not just a college football podcast. We talked about the NL East race between the Braves and the Mets. We talked about how all the teams we like seem to be struggling right now, and all the teams we hate are just really doing well. Talk about you, Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, all the big money teams. And uh, we also talked about an interesting movie coming out this fall, featuring a beloved childhood storybook character going on a murderous rampage. This is also an interesting discussion on copyright and public domain law. This intro is already well over the time limit. This is Let Them Eat Takes. pick up you went so you got to go dove hunting this weekend huh i did and the game was over at halftime so i went back out in the field at half watching the game on my phone and shooting on commercials so you and your favorite collegiate sports teams were coincidentally hunting birds on the same time this uh labor day weekend is that what i'm getting at oh yeah i mean we're all shocked so very shocked uh, I'll, oh, this, by the way, this is Let Them Eat Takes, a sports podcast for the Outrage Era. I'm Justin. This is Scott. Scott, tell people how you're feeling. Uh, tired. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to sports, uh, the Mets are falling apart and we destroyed Oregon. So that's always fun. It is fun. It's always fun to watch the Mets just collapse. Uh, in August and September, they were leading the NL East up until this point last year, right? Remember that Something correctly? like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, you know, it's a wonderful family tradition around these parts. They're like, <laughs> oh, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July. And like, mm, Mets collapse month. That's our family holiday. Show wing. So there was, um, when they, I guess, when they were really starting, to, when they were really down bad. They were playing the Nationals, who are not only just the bottom of the NL East, they also happen to have one of the worst records in baseball right now. When they, when the Nationals beat them in a series at home, they released the the Mega Mind meme, and it has a guy with a little pouty face, and he says, "No trumpets." And they're talking about that uh, that song that uh, William Contreras also walks up to, and he goes about. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I forget the name of the song, but they've uh, their closer comes out to it, right? And they really leaned into it, and they had the I guess the guy that actually plays the trumpets 
on yes. that song, played it live from the stands the other day. Yes. So there was a, I saw a little bit of uh, squabbling back and forth on social media where Mets fans were trying to say it's theirs and Braves fans were like, no, it belongs to Wild Bill. <laughs> well, cool. if you listen to the Mets announcers, it was a sham that Wild Bill was in the, in the All-Star game. <laughs> they hey. told us that he like hit a home run in real time really <laughs> yeah this is like right after the all-star break and they're like uh william Contreras, still not sure how he got on the all-star game a travesty and a deep drive to left field <laughs> that's that's almost as Guess it's almost as good as that guy from the Reds giving his weird apology and then calling the that double or whatever. Gosh. Yeah, the Castellanos, Castellanos, Castellanos. Yeah. Which he's now done like four or five times, and it just gets funnier every time. <laughs> like he's interrupted so many like apologies or major announcements or like non-baseball related discussions. You know, like I just you know I wanted to announce today in this game that uh, I've come down with stage four colon cancer and I'll be retiring at the end of and it's a deep drive to left field. That's insane, man. <laughs> he just wants to lighten the mood and remind everybody, hey, baseball. <laughs> Baseball's fun, y'all. These other things in life are stupid or terrible, but baseball's always good. I'm glad, we're talking, glad we talked a little bit about baseball because I had someone ask me recently if we just committed to being a college football podcast. No, but we did take a lot of the summer off, so we missed a lot of baseball chit chat. We did. I mean, are we gonna are we gonna even talk about the NFL? I kind of am curious. I had a bit of like an epiphany moment when I was at Kroger today, and they have like all the Halloween stuff, you know. Uh-huh. And it's obviously not Halloween yet. So that stuff, you know, is full price. It'll be on sale right after Halloween, right? Right. Over to the side, there's a pumpkin with a falcon's hat line of items, and they're already slashed. They're already like 40% off. <laughs> it's not Halloween. Football season starts this weekend. Like, <laughs> I'm in Metro Atlanta, and you can't get rid of those things. So. What, do you think that's just stuff they couldn't sell from last year? Or is that just new stuff? This is the preemptive sale. Like, we know they're going to be bad. We know this is going to be painful. What, it, what, can we sweeten the deal with 40% off? It can't be stuff from next year because they had, like, <laughs> you know, Georgia hat pumpkins and Braves hat pumpkins and stuff, and those are full price. So they're like, oh, Falcons. Uh, hey, kid, who, kid, who are you? Are the Grim Reaper? No, I'm the Atlanta Falcons franchise. It was cheaper okay. than the Halloween stuff. Speaking of the Grim Reaper, have you seen the trailer for the new Winnie the Pooh movie? No. So Winnie the Pooh is now old enough that it's in public domain. Oh, boy. Meaning anybody can do Winnie the Pooh stuff. And that means that someone has made a Winnie the Pooh. Blood and movie. Honey? Yes. Oh, Pooh, geez, Blood please. and Honey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watched the trailer. It's wild. It's insane. Like at the beginning of the trailer, Christopher Robin and I don't know, his girlfriend or new wife or fiance or whatever. He's like, 
they're going back to the woods because he wants to introduce his lady to to Pooh and Piglet and everybody. He's like, they were my best friends growing up. Come with me. Let's go find them. And uh, <laughs> then it turns into like a gory slasher movie. Yeah. It... Scott, while you're narrating this, I actually have it pulled up on a separate window on my computer. This yeah. looks buck wild. This it's, is kind, like... it's kind of intense. Like, I'm not sure if I want to laugh or actually be scared. It's like Sam Raimi got a hold of the Way the Pooh franchise and decided to throw it into his. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching this. Saving that, put down the list. So, public domain law. This is a this is non sports related, but public domain law is so interesting to me because someone is able to do this with Way the Pooh. I think Mickey Mouse should have been public domain like 15 years ago. Yeah, but Disney has too much money to allow that to happen. You're telling me that you know. The all the banking families in England and the royal family couldn't fork out enough money to protect Winnie the Pooh from this. Uh, apparently, they didn't care enough. And by care <laughs> enough, I mean they didn't pay the right people enough. Remember, remember the old Schoolhouse Rock that was like, "This is how a bill becomes a law." Mm-hmm. Have you seen the meme where they just Photoshop someone handing cash to someone else in like the next freeze frame? Because that's why Mickey Mouse is not fair game. <laughs> oh man. It's true. So, so this is not just the College Football Podcast. It also covers <laughs> public domain horror movies of Winnie the Pooh, which is well, just about as scary as the Georgia-Oregon game. Yeah, let's go back. Let's talk about that game for a little bit. I would like to touch a lot of touch base on a lot of games this weekend. I, I, I remember we talked about this on last week's episode. I thought the point spread was maybe a little too big, but I didn't think Oregon was seriously going to win. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, us included, thought that Oregon would be game for at least a, you know, major section of it, right? Right. I I don't think we really thought that Oregon was seriously going to win, but kind of look at it like, hey, they still have a lot of guys that are going to be NFL players. And, you know, they return every player on their offensive line from last year. You have some NFL guys at defensive line, linebacker, secondary. Like that's enough to to hold up and to play tough for at least a couple quarters until the the Bo Nixoning happens and you know the interceptions catch up to you. Uh, it turns out that was not the case, and it turns out we looked like we were running a seven on seven, you know skeleton passenger. It was like a pro day workout, you know, in the pro day workouts where they're like, oh, they threw. 37 scripted throws and not a single one hit the ground. Like, that's what it was like. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it was like uh, Daffy Duck flipping over the duck season sign. Every time he flipped over, it just kept saying duck season. <laughs> like, there was, there was no dog season, rap season. It was just, it was a train wreck. Like, I think, and I think this is right. This is, that was the largest, uh, margin of victory Georgia's ever had against a ranked opponent, an AP mm-hmm. ranked opponent. And it really did look like Georgia playing like Samford at home. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I think there was like one of maybe seven times where a team has come out and just scored a touchdown on all seven of their first drives against like a D1 team. 
And I think last year, Ohio State did that to Michigan State. That's the only other time anybody's ever done that to a ranked opponent. Just touchdown, 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 touchdown all the way through, which did lead us to a phenomenal tweet from the new punter, an Aussie, who got to get in for his one punt, had a good punt and whatnot. Um, but after the game, he was tweeting out, uh, game one takeaway, Stetson Bennett hates Australians. And Stetson retweeted it. Uh, <laughs> I was watching that game with my dad in the room, and after that one series where, um, yeah, that one series where where we had to punt, he's like, oh, thank goodness, our punter needs to get some reps. I haven't even seen this guy punt. And it was like a 50-yarder. And I remember... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want I don't know if it's okay to talk about other podcasts on our podcast, but I was listening to Cover Three Just give and it the quack noise, quack. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast, a certain Florida State alum uh based his prediction on this game and the season based on the fact that Georgia was not returning a really good punter and he said, Well, Georgia just benefited from really good field position last year and they got a new punter. I'm that takes him down a whole win. Oh, man. I remember when this time a week ago when we had to hear people being dumb and saying, oh, Dan Lanning knows the Georgia defense. By, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure Kirby knows the defense that Dan Lanning was also going to run, right? I'm pretty sure that uh, Brian McClendon was also the coach at Oregon or one of the coaches at Oregon the last two years. But all that's overblown, right? I mean, yeah, Kirby said after the game, right? He's like, eh, we got better players. Dan helped us recruit a lot of those guys. They'll be better in the future. But for right now, we got better players. And and for all the talk of, oh, they know the scheme and blah, blah, blah. Uh, in that game on Saturday, we actually lined up with field and boundary corners instead of left and right corners. For I think the whole game or most of the game, which is something we've never, ever done the whole time Kirby's been there. So yeah. someone knowing exactly what you do and planning for exactly what you do can also mean if you tweak one little thing, their whole plan is ruined, right? Or a, a large part of it is no good. So, Yeah, that was an interesting yeah. new wrinkle in the Georgia defense. And some people, you know, I think Malachi Starks was playing boundary corner for most of the time he was in the game. The uh, he, played, he played a little bit everywhere. He had some snaps at outside corner, inside corner, and safety, and even a couple snaps at what amounted to a linebacker type position, but that was just like a couple snaps. So it was kind of a one-off, but yeah, I led the team in snaps. One thing that'll be interesting for Georgia as it goes forward with this inexperienced secondary, I think, because people noticed that, Oh, George, if Oregon was going to run like a quick screen or something, the flats, they had Kamari Lassiter on the field for those types of plays when they knew they were coming because he's, a better open field tackler, I think, than Malachi Starks. But if they knew they were going to go, you know, stretch the field a bit, he was the guy on the field. So it's going to be interesting to see if they keep doing that or if one guy separates over the other in practice. I think what's going to happen is Starks is going to officially be starting over Dan Jackson real soon. Probably. <clears throat> I mean, I know Dan Jackson's the <laughs> one of the lunch pail guys, quote. Who stays late and shows up early and, you know. But, yeah. yeah. Definitely a lot more positives than negatives from that game. 
You know, there was a there were some times that Oregon moved the ball a little bit. You know, we'll have to see in future weeks if some of those issues are fixed or not. If other teams are able to just you know take advantage of that, or if it was kind of a one-off thing. I mean, I know you had a lot of times where Oregon ran like a wide receiver slant combined with like a little wide with a running back like you know little flare or wheel kind of route basically yeah. just trying to rub the linebacker with the wide receiver so they if they go under the wide if they go under the corner then the running back turns it up for a wheel and you're behind him if you go you know on the on the other side of the corner then it's just an easy little flare to pick up 5 6 8 yards right Dan Mullen used that play to destroy Georgia. Well, not just, well, yeah, he used it to wreck Georgia in the cocktail party back in 2020. Yeah. And that, and that game too was one of those games where you had a lot of injured starters that were missing. Right. And so Mm -hmm. some of the communication and the mental processing play speed wasn't quite where it needed to be. Right. That was a game where I know you had Jordan Davis out and I think you're missing LeCount who was kind of, you know, calling a lot of things out in the secondary. Um, the similarities there are not that we were missing guys, but that you did have a lot of young guys, right? You had Starks as a freshman. All of your traditional linebacker types are young guys that hadn't played a lot. So some of the communication there, you know, it wasn't so much that they didn't know what to do, but it was that to be on top of those plays, you kind of have to know what's going to happen before it happens. Because if you're reacting to it is sometimes it's already too late right so we'll see how some of those things change or don't change over the course of the year some of those little improvements yeah uh yeah i there's not a whole lot to nitpick there apart from the few things i felt like maybe nicobe of all the players georgia had to replace i think nicobe dean might be the most irreplaceable based on what i saw saturday Um, I put Dean and Jordan Davis kind of both on there as your oh, sure, two yeah. guys. You know, that there were actual times where they ran the ball on us on purpose, which basically hasn't happened since, like, early 2018. So, but, but yeah, I think, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about how the defense will take a step back and we'll miss some of those players. And I felt like that was still accurate after that game. I know the final score was a three, um, but it, and this is r- real first world problems. It wasn't as dominant of a three on the scoreboard as a lot of the threes we had last year, right? That's last year, it was like, it's it a three because everything was a three and out. <laughs> then they would get a garbage field goal late. In this case, Oregon would sort of consistently get a few first downs and then install out. Scott, tell me you're you're a, you're a part of a spoiled college football fan base without telling me you're part of a spoiled college football fan base. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying they're terrible just because they're not as good as that defense that was like the best defense in school history, right? Um, I'm just saying that, that while they're still pretty good, it's also still a, a step down. At yeah. least right now, we'll see. There's still a lot of good, talented players, you know. They'll improve a lot as the season goes on, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's enough veteran leadership to tie it all down. I think Nolan Smith and Christopher Smith are Smith boys. I think that's Mm -hmm. huge. Uh, Christopher Smith 
knows how to read Bo Nix's mind. When on that screen ago, he got the pick, he knew exactly where that ball was going to be, and he just went there for it. Talk about mm-hmm. anticipating the pass. Yep. And uh, he destroyed an Oregon receiver in a legal fashion, which is nearly <laughs> impossible these days. In this day and age, we're not even allowed to hit the quarterback when he's attempting to make a throw. Yeah, uh, if the if the player is thinking about throwing, you cannot hit them. Oh, that was an actual NCAA. Um, well, not exactly, but it's a very close to the wording of a NCAA officiating announcement where they said it. You know, in the process of making a throw, the quarterback is considered to be a defenseless player and cannot be hit. Which, which re- what officiating crew in any conference is going to enforce that? Yeah, it, it's wild. Um, um, only last thought on the Oregon game is that, well, two things. Uh, first-year coaches generally don't have the program clicking on all cylinders. And that's, for me, what's kind of always expected for a new coach coming out the gate. Anything else is, you know in the exception proves the rule category. Uh, And the other thing is that Georgia had 17 former players starting at other schools in D1 this past week. And it did not look like that. Oregon was the one that looked like they were missing 17 starter level level players, not Georgia. You're talking about guys who transferred, not just, you're not talking about the 15 that went to the NFL. No, no, not in, yeah, not talking about the 15 drafted. I'm just talking about the other people that have left the program. Uh, 12 of those left after last year. So after last year, you had 15 guys drafted and 12 guys transfer. And I think not all 12 of those guys are starting, but something like eight or 10 of those guys are starting. And you got 17 former players starting somewhere. Yeah. Before we move on to, from the Oregon game, I just want to say I, I officially apologize for any slander I do of Stetson Bennett from here on out. I think it was last week I said, yeah, I'm okay if he like, gets beat out by somebody else. I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm off that. I'm off that wagon. For now, just wait if we, <laughs> what happens if we lose a game? <laughs> then, then I'm blaming Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart for enabling this. This weenie kid from uh, Pierce County or Nahun or wherever he tells people he's from now. I don't know. The 912 <laughs> area code. Soon he's going to be down to like a street address telling you the neighborhood. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. from this and that cul-de-sac. Nah, man, he lives on a dirt road. It's like Walter Pickens Extension something or County Road 50. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, as long as it's not Jefferson Davis Highway or something. Well, good thing he's not from Jefferson Davis County. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. I. It's funny you mentioned all those other players who transferred out because I was watching other games like, oh, wow, I forgot that Latavius Brini was playing for Ole Miss. Or I forgot Major oh, – actually, I didn't forget. Major Burns is playing for LSU, and he's starting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah, so Brini, many guys. Brini, I think, was starting – is he starting at Arkansas and Speed yeah, is starting? Yeah. And Amir Speed, the defensive back, is starting at Michigan State. And Tyreek Stevenson is starting at Miami. And Burns is starting at LSU. So there's an entire starting secondary worth of players at like decent to actually good Power Five programs. And it's just one position group. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. 
Gosh. So, all right. Uh, speaking of wild, oof, what a transition. Um, can we talk about the, the end of the LSU-Florida State game? You just want to talk about the end of that game? That thing, that game was spectacular from start to finish in terms of how bad both teams were, how badly they both wanted to lose it. And as Jonathan said in our text thread, it was like watching two cir- turds circle a drain vying over who was going to go down first. Holy crap. I only have one question about that game, and it is, have you ever seen a player who wanted to play less than Keishon Butte? I remember, I mean, I don't want to be the homer cast, but I remember Isaiah Crowell would, you, would, would want to get out of the game a lot when he was a freshman at Georgia, but no, that was pathetic. Yeah, that was, I mean, he is super talented. He's been really good in the past. The effort was pretty pathetic. He wasn't looking for the ball on a slant route. Like, how do you do that? He got hit in the side of the head with the football in the end zone at one point because he just wasn't looking. Like, you're not a decoy. You're supposed to be the top wide receiver in all of college football and a future, like, high first-round pick, you know, some six months from now. You run in a slant into the end zone, you're not a decoy. You're like a top option. You got to at least look and just whop right in the ear hole. It was like a, it was like one of those goofy Peyton Manning SNL like commercials where you're just popping people inside of the head. That was that, except for it wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, what do you, it's kind of sucked for Jaden Daniels to transfer to LSU. And, you know, this is an exciting new era for the program. We finally got over the dumpster fire of Edward Geron. You know, Jaden Daniels played quarterback like every 12 year old the first time they pick up Madden or NCAA which is like get a fast quarterback and just immediately run (laughs) every play just run like it'd be like a five step drop and he's hitting step three and he just took off he's like I don't got time to stick around and get the end of my drop I gotta scramble he's probably sitting there in the huddle being like Jaden Daniels needs the stats (laughs) coach coach I know you're talking about progression two and three but have you ever played Madden 2006 you know, oh, Michael. What was the? Wasn't there like it was like a Budweiser or something? There was some the old beer commercial where they're like interviewing the running back in the locker room, and he's speaking in third person, talking about Leon tried to win this game, but Leon's teammates <laughs> let him down because Leon can't do everything. That's what how Jaden Daniels played. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. I can't believe it came together at the end. Almost, I get. Yeah, almost came together at the end for him. Granted, he was like rolling out, still scrambling when you have less than a minute to play, scrambling for those first downs and hitting guys on check downs. Like you yeah. shouldn't be able to drive the field 95 yards if that's your attack plan. Yeah, and, and it's certainly not on him. Like we said, his top receiver literally didn't want to play, swatting <laughs> balls out of the air like as a defensive back. It, it absolutely nuts. So that whole game was crazy. There was a lot of crazy games. Utah, Florida, moment of silence. We missed a good chance for a Florida meltdown. Uh, nothing else to say because screw them. Um, I do NC State, NC State East Carolina. Talk about craziness. Did you see NC State East Carolina? I saw NC State almost lost, and I think they're one of those dark horse teams to win the ACC this year, right? 
Yeah, which based on how the ACC played, that might still be a dark horse to win the <laughs> ACC. But I think it was. I think that was one where East Carolina missed an extra point at the end to lose twenty-one to twenty. They did not. Yeah. Not even a block, just a just a miss. Like at least in the Florida State LSU game, that wasn't fluky. If you had watched the game, did they already block a field goal. I can't remember if they already blocked they did a, field block goal. a field goal earlier in the game. But yeah, yeah, and there was there was like three or four times on field goals and extra points where LSU had messed up the blocking assignment at the same point on the same side of line line of scrimmage, and somebody had gotten through and gotten penetration because they had like messed up the blocking assignments. So the like fourth time that happened just so happened to be on that extra point. So like, like that wasn't some fluky like oh we got so unlucky and lost. It's like no you screwed this thing up consistently all game long and eventually it came back to bite you. Too bad they don't have a coach. They're paying like a ton of money. They could possibly like you know correct anything on the fly. Yeah, how are we feeling about the Brian Kelly era in Baton Rouge? Uh, he needs to bring the accent back. They're already figuring out he's not from there. <laughs> Listen, my family loves this etouffee. We're sorry about them extra points we missed. <laughs> uh, did, did you watch any of uh, North Carolina App State? I caught the end. I saw that uh, App State... Scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. Still managed to lose that game. Like, I don't know how either team can feel good about themselves coming off of that game. Like, that's got to be some kind of special achievement unlocked on, like, Xbox or PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's got to be. Gosh. Um, who's playing quarterback for UNC now? I feel bad. I, uh, I didn't really watch this game. It is Drake May, who I believe is a second-year player. I think he redshirted last year when Sam Howell was there. Maybe he didn't redshirt, but I think he did. Uh, He is very talented. He's a guy that out of high school was, you know, recruited by all the top programs and went to North Carolina instead. Um, And he looks like a super talented young quarterback out there. Yeah, he's got the, uh, I know stars aren't everything, but he does have the stars, and he's got the rating. Yeah, yeah it looks and, like and, a, and you, you can see the talent. Like, he's a big athletic dude that can move around and has a good arm. So it is very warranted. It'll be curious to see if he can keep this pace up all season, because so far through two games, he's been lighting things on fire, but... But with young players, sometimes it's about the consistency, right? So a little right. bit TBD. Um, Is App State supposed to be a really good Sun Belt team this year? They're usually a good Sun Belt team. I think they're expected to be a good Sun Belt team. Yeah. We'll find out, I guess. I mean, basically, North Carolina is real good on offense and real bad on defense right now. So they're just going to play a lot of games where teams are scoring 40, 50 points on both sides. Oh, I wonder who's who's being the defensive coordinator for the University of North Carolina. And what do you know? I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Old Gene. That guy's never had a, never mismanaged talent. He's he's been like in the studio the last three years and came out of retirement for this. I'm like, what have you done, sir? I missed that early on when it happened. I was shocked reading preseason 
stuff about Gene Chizik being the defensive coordinator at North Carolina. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Mm, yeah, Mac Brown, I guess. So, oh, you know, last week we were talking about things that we were maybe looking out for on the games. Uh, Tennessee did destroy Ball State like they're supposed to and didn't give up a lot of points. So that's sort of in the, uh, oh, Tennessee might be pretty good this year column. It's not like a guarantee anything. It's still Ball State. Teams can whoop up on crappy teams and still not know what to do when they get hit in the mouth by a better team. But offense legit, and it could be a little better on defense. I think they play Pitt this week, so uh, that'll be a, an early test. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, they're already pit fans are already talking trash on social media because they played in Knoxville last year and mm-hmm. won that game. And they're feeling yeah. really good about their chances with Caden Slovis. So we'll see. Well, I want- the the one thing is, you know, probably the strength of Pitt's team. Well, the strength of their team is on the defensive side, not the offensive side. But <clears throat> they're strong on the defensive line, and I think they brought back every starter in the secondary from last year. So if the strength of your team is kind of defensive line and secondary, that could be a good recipe to give Tennessee some trouble. Like when they've struggled offensively is the teams that just went at the line of scrimmage, right? Right. So we'll see how that one goes, but it could be interesting. And then, I mean, Texas, Alabama is like whatever. Don't even bother watching. The last I checked, the point spread it was about twenty points. Alabama yeah. favorite. Yeah, Do you it's think a, it goes the line is twenty. <clears throat> I don't think it's going to move any higher than that because, gosh, twenty is just so big. But I mean, there's no reason to really expect it's going to be that good of a game. No, I mean, Texas debuted Quinn Ewers last week. And he they, got his car towed during the middle of the game. He got, okay. his, he got his car towed. They hooked his, his BMW or whatever, uh, whatever he drives. Uh, the they, Wrangler Mobile? Yeah, they hooked the Wrangler Mobile. But again, a guy with, a, with hair like that, he has to drive like a Wrangler with the doors taken off and has like Coors Light always ready to drink in the back. Well, their running back's got his NIL deal with, like, Ferrari or Lamborghini or something. He also has his own mustard. Have you heard about this? Yeah. The Dijon mustardson? Yeah. Which should have been Bijan's Dijon. Bijan's Dijon. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, or Dijon Robinson. Like, D- either of those. Any of those would have been good. Apparently, there's there's two college football writers who have a bet. They bet on opposite lines of the of the betting line, and the loser has to eat an entire bottle of that mustard. That sounds like an Andy Staples, uh, Ari Wasserman special. Ding, 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 ding! You got oh, it, man. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty on brand. Yeah, apparently, I didn't really watch that game because there's just there's just so much good football to watch this week. But uh, apparently, Quinn Ewers. Threw, he threw one interception and threw a couple other balls that were very pick-worthy. So he's talented, but he's maybe not uh, maybe not ready for the big kahuna just yet. Yeah, I mean, I think this is supposed to be his freshman year of college. 
he left a year early, left high school a year early, so he could go be on the practice squad at Ohio State for a million dollars a year before he transferred to Texas to start there instead, uh, <laughs> presumably for multiple millions of dollars a year, I guess. But, yeah, he's a really young quarterback. I mean, when was the last time Bama played an early season game against, like, some hyped-up opponent, and it was even close? I can't remember. Yeah. It had to have been, I don't know. Whatever. So, There's a black hole in my in my memory of what Alabama football was like before Nick Saban got over. Because I remember there was a stretch; it was rough for a little while. Yeah, we call that the the Mike Price the stripper stretch of Alabama <laughs> football. So yeah, I mean, if you think about the Saban era, they haven't even played a close game of these early season like matchup things. So there's no reason to think anything other than Alabama's going to come out there and look fully functional, well-oiled machine. The only way it's close is if you actually think Texas is a top five or top eight team come the end of the season. If that's what you think of Texas, then the game might be close. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would bet on the over, right? No, no, no. Yeah, I would, I would definitely pick Alabama to cover. I don't even know what the, the over-under is on the points. But yeah, I'm not sure. I watched, I watched a little bit of that Alabama-Utah State game. And uh, I don't think Utah State is anything special, but that was, you know, again, this is what, when you when there's a team like Alabama coming up to the plate, this is what you expect them to do to Utah State. I also noticed uh, there's, they're spreading the ball out a little bit more than they used to. Could be that you don't have guys who are as, like, you know, game-changing as Mechie and Williams on the field anymore, but I also wonder if Nick Saban took something, put a feather in his cap from the national championship game and said, maybe I need to cool down force-feeding my two best receivers on the team. Maybe the game should be more than pass the ball to Tucker. (laughs) Yep. Shame when that happens. Um, Yeah, that's a shame. Um, other big game of the weekend was Ohio State and Notre Dame. I don't know. Ohio State ended up winning. I don't really care. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I didn't either. I was okay. One thing that did take me off because I was listening, watching the broadcast. I think Herb Street was calling that game, and I always think it's interesting when Herb Street calls Ohio State games because he has to like you know hide his glowing enthusiasm for his alma ma- alma mater. Like, but. So Ohio State, when they went into ground and pound mode in the fourth quarter, you know, Herbster's going on like, oh, yeah, this is not like the, the kind of win Ohio State fans are used to. This is not, you know, the satisfying, you know, blowout that they're used to. But, you know, these kinds of wins where you're playing, you know, physical football, you're playing complimentary football, that's just satisfying for the whole team. And I thought, what is, like, how come no one else gets this treatment when they get into the ground and pound mode? Like, anytime any other school does that, it's always, oh, they're being grandpas. They're being backwards. They're not playing modern football. But when Ohio State does it, it's a camaraderie building event. Yeah, it's just some good old team building. That's all that was. <laughs> Nothing to see here. That, oh, go ahead. I'll say it's not the best weekend overall coming up. You know, you have a lot of like the. We have like the week one, woohoo, football's back. And then you have some of the like, you know, marquee non conference games. 
And then week two, you got a lot of those teams turn around playing chumps like Georgia at Samford. You know, we mentioned Alabama, Texas, which is debatable whether that's actually interesting in practice. You have a few interesting games. South Carolina at Arkansas. You know, it's one of those those programs where they're both kind of hoping to win like eight, nine games. They probably both can't win eight, nine games. And the loser of this is going to really have a hard time doing that. You know, Missouri, Kansas State, which is an old uh, big eight rivalry, I guess, whatever they were back then. And then later Big 12. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting one. And uh, after that, okay, App State, Texas A&M. I mean, maybe if App State's real good, that's kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, we mentioned Tennessee and Pittsburgh. And then Kentucky and Florida is another one. So Kentucky is now down to like their fourth running back. So I'm not really sure, not super confident that they're going to be able to uh, stay balanced on offense in that scenario. I don't think Kentucky has the kind of depth to deal with that. They have a quarterback who might be a first-round pick who likes to eat his bananas blacker yeah, than like, the whole. Might be a first or seventh-round pick. We're not really sure yet. I, I'm intrigued by this Kentucky-Florida matchup because it is like, you know, here are the two preseason dark horse hype trains colliding into one another. One of them will probably mm-hmm. continue their dark horse campaign. The other one will probably just be looking forward to the Cheez-It Bowl or whatever prize awaits, you know, a 7-5 and five SEC East team. Yeah. Brutal. It's a brutal life. I, oh, I mean, US, sorry, USC at Stanford's another interesting one that I forgot about. Oh yeah, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if Stanford has a pulse or not. You know, we'll find out. They but. beat Colgate forty-one to ten. Colgate, which is a university and not a brand of toothpaste, but also <laughs> mostly a toothpaste. <laughs> mostly a toothpaste. If Colgate toothpaste field a football team, it probably would have more heart and soul than whatever Colgate University is fielding. Where is that anyway? Ooh, I don't know, but I just kind of assume that any random university is either in Arkansas, Texas, or Tennessee. If it's like a rando school and they're playing football. I don't know if that's correct in this scenario, but I just oh, my default answer. No, they're in Hamilton, New York, a little town in upstate of a population of about 4,000. Oof, yikes. And you only beat them by 31 points. Oh, the uh, mustache guy who played Farva in uh, Super Troopers is from there. He's a no famous alumni. Yep. Wow. Wow. I don't want a large Farva. I want a Colgate football team. <laughs> he sort of got his wish. Yeah. Sort of. It's home right. to something called the Picker Art Gallery. I hope that's like American Pickers. We need to talk baseball. Yes. All right. Uh, the Yankees are winning their division. Cleveland Guardians are winning their division. Houston Astros are winning their division. Edson Braves are tied. Cardinals win in the Central. Dodgers blowing everybody away in the West. Dodgers run differential plus. is like plus 300. And nobody even else even has a plus 200 in all of baseball. So it'll be extra exciting when the Dodgers manage to be far and away the best team in baseball. Again, for like the seventh year running, and then also don't win the World Series. Again, a wonderful family baseball pastime. 
one of my favorite traditions is watching Dave Robertson just both r- burn through the bullpen games two and three. Forget he has to potentially play game six or seven. It's amazing. Oh, shoot yeah. your shot. Shoot your shot. I got to say, though, this is one of those years where pretty much all the teams that maybe have any kind of realistic chance at the World Series, other than the Braves, it's all teams I don't like. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, it would be fun. You know, you always want your team to win, whatever. But sometimes it's like, oh, it would be fun if this team won, or I wouldn't mind if they won. You know, like when the Cubs hadn't won in forever, obviously it was like, yeah, that's cool if the Cubs are winning. You know, lots of teams like that, right? This year, no. The teams with any real, like with a serious chance, it's Yankees, Astros, Mets, Cardinals, Dodgers, and Braves. And I was like, I don't want any of those teams to win. Fenders and Chaders. The whole lot of them. The whole lot of them. You got a bunch of steroid using, you know, piss test cheating. Uh, whatever, I don't know. I'm too yeah. tired for this. What's a, I'm, what's a I'm team too old for this crap. <laughs> you and every other, every other actor in his 60s who got back into an action movie. <laughs> what's what's a what's an MLB team that you want to see win a World Series that hasn't done it in a while? Uh, you know, let's just like the Blue Jays or the Orioles would be. Mm. I mean, maybe hit or miss on the Blue Jays. The Orioles would be fun. Hey, I, I wouldn't mind if like the Twins were like good, like good, good again. That would be fun. The Mariners, you know, it'd be nice if the Angels with Otani and Mike Trout were even like in the playoffs. <laughs> That would be cool. Um, See, that they honestly, deserve to be relocated just because of that. You have Shohei Otani, who's like a golden unicorn, and you can't figure out a way to be over 500 with him on your team. Did you see the like ESPN Angels stats leader page thing floating around the other day? No. Like, if you go to like whatever team's page on ESPN, it'll show the stat leaders and they'll show their like leader and adding average home runs, RBIs, and like wins and ERA all on the same page at once. And it's just Otani, 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 Otani. <laughs> See, pass the ball to Tucker is maybe not the best strategy <laughs> for any sport. Yeah, so, um, you know, other than that, look, I, I wouldn't hate the Padres being good. That would, you know, oh, mix yeah. it up a little bit. The Rockies, it'd be fun. I mean, you know, a World Series at Coors Field. Like, that mm. would be cool, right? Dangers um, for days. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Pirates, not that they deserve to be good after intentionally tanking for 25 years, not even like tanking <laughs> to get good draft picks or something, just tanking to maximize profit margin by keeping costs low, which is insane. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, so there's lots of teams that, you know, it'd be fun to see them be good and then plenty of other teams that I'm kind of indifferent towards but unfortunately none of those are the teams that are good this year yeah Turns, yeah I would like to see the Pittsburgh Pirates get really good and win a World Series potentially again you know it sucks that the franchise had to tank itself to like you know deflate the value or whatever but uh, PNC is a really cool ballpark and uh, I think those fans are kind of neat. Also, I like the pillbox hats when they occasionally bust those out. Mm. 
Like that's just a that's a unique franchise in baseball. I also would like it if the Oakland A's could come back and win a World Series. Yeah. Now, have you ever considered that the Pittsburgh Pirates might be always tanking and keeping costs low to artificially deflate the yen and thus hurt the U.S. economy via inflation? Well, they, they really just, they're deserving of the Pittsburgh Pirate name. I got to say, I got to tip my, my pillbox hat to them. Yeah, it's just, you know, they're, they're still plundering, but it's the 21st century version of plundering. Wait a minute. Are the pirates behind crypto? <laughs> we don't have any money for players. We're buying GPUs and some farm <laughs> Bitcoin. We got digital pirate galleons. Oh, it's gosh. just. It's the old 90s logo with the guy with the bandana. What would they call it? Hmm. I mean, it's not really like doubloons, but would they do like doubloon coin? Doubloon coin. Would they just call it dub coin? Who's the most, who's the most famous player you think of for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Oh, yeah. Bonds. <laughs> 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 Buying Bonds. <laughs> Give you the old bonds, bonds, right? Bonds coin, <laughs> bonds coin. And then when the price like really jumps up and gets like twice as big as before, they're like, "Hey, nothing sketchy to see here. It's all above board." <laughs> I, who said? I didn't say anything about the cream in the clear. No, no, no. Buy the bond coin. It's good. Hey, but that man never had to testify, did he? I mean, if he did, does it even matter? Rafael Palmero stood up and testified and shook his finger and waved, you know, waved his finger and shook his fist at like, you know, all the elected officials of America and then still tested positive. So, remember, under oath only applies if you aren't a multimillionaire. That's true. If you have enough money, you don't have to say the truth under oath. You also don't have to worry about your uh, copyright expiring. It's true. See, maybe Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh should have been making stacks instead of making memories in the Hundred Acre Wood. Hey, so when when Blood and Honey comes out, are we gonna are we gonna do like a group watch? Is it out yet? I don't even know. I think we. I haven't seen a, a horror movie in theaters in a quite quite a long time. It's not usually my flavor of cinema. But I could do this for Blood and Honey. That's so wild. I mean, this looks like one of those dumb things someone made on YouTube just to be, ha ha, this is funny. But no, they're being dead serious. This is going to be a horror movie with Wendy the Pooh. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's going to be almost as scary as Georgia Tech's football season this year. Oof. I was actually going to say the last time I saw a horror movie was when the Falcons played. <laughs> Get off! Hey. Get off that drug, Belmonte. Yeah, says. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, it's one of those things where, like, Belmonte is doing a public service announcement by going on the air nationally and giving Falcons fans the, you know, very straightforward and vocal permission to just quit that drug. Like, stop! You don't have to do it. Not even once. I mean, Falcons open with the Saints. Um, 
I man, has there ever been less buzz for a Falcons like opening game against your main rival? Nobody even cares. You know, I I'll I'll tune in every once in a while, but ugh. like okay, like the I think Matt Ryan and the Falcons both needed to move on from each other. One, because, you know, Matt Ryan could win with it, you know, with the team that the Falcons were building and the Falcons just needed to build for the future because there's nothing they can do right now. They're but not the building for the future. Yeah, they're also not doing that. They drafted really poorly. Uh, drafted for the short term, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got, you may have some good long-term players, but they didn't come in and tear it down and draft a young quarterback hoping to find your next thing. You just retread Mariota out there. and Oh, well, what are you going to do? I mean, Desmond Ritter looks good in preseason, but, the, man, it's hard to really say that counts for anything. And that's your Falcons uh, 2022 preview. I predict they'll go 6-11, and 11, pick about 10 or 15 in the draft, uh, maybe flirt with a trade and then pick right where they're supposed to be and pick like an uninspiring wide receiver. They'll pick Jermaine Burton at number 15. Oh, because they 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 love Alabama wide receivers. They won't pick Jermaine Burton because they only believe in big wide receivers. But I'm with you. Yeah, seven and 10, picking 14. Hooray. We'll probably pick, like, I don't know, some, like, offensive lineman who's okay. Go team. Hey, you're, you live you live back in the you, – you move back to Georgia. We could all go to a game. It probably wouldn't be that expensive. Probably wouldn't. Let's see how much tickets cost right now. <laughs> it might still cost money because it's opening game and it's New Orleans. Yeah, they're – I'm not paying real money to go to that game. Uh, give it a few weeks. Give it a month or two. And all of a sudden, people will be giving away tickets. Yeah, my advice. This is, I've only bought Falcons tickets once. And I bought them after the year. They went to the NFC Championship. So people are like, this is going to be our It wasn't last year, but it's going to be this year. I paid like $120 to watch them, you know, Bear crawl to four and twelve against the Washington Redskins, who had benched RG three for Kirk Cousins. Oh man, I could have gotten those. We probably could have gotten those tickets for next to nothing. The stadium was dead. Don't ever buy tickets in the preseason unless you know for know for sure your team's going to be good. Mm-hmm. All right. So, can I read you this, uh, like? Season, you know, primer or whatever for the Falcons. Let me hear it. Let's hear it. During his childhood, Christopher Robin befriended Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, and their friends, playing games and also providing them with food. As he grew, these visits grew more infrequent, as did the food supply, causing Pooh and the others to grow increasingly hungry and desperate. When Christopher went to college, the visit stopped completely causing Pooh and Piglet to become completely feral and unhinged, resulting in Eeyore and the others getting killed and eaten at some point. 
Now Christopher has returned to the forest alongside his new wife, hoping to introduce her to his old friends. Feeling betrayed, this results in them going on a murderous rampage for human flesh as they antagonize a group of university girls who are occupying a rural cabin. You said that was a Falcons preview? You said Falcons preview, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, gosh, that sounds way more interesting than the actual Falcons season. It actually sounds like they have a chance to win something. <laughs> Like, I like the survival chances of those kids, uh, especially those sorority girls in the cabin in the woods. Highly original material, by the way. I like their chances oh, yeah. better than the Falcons to make it out over 500. Well, So what I actually like is it feels very intentional with like the random sorority girls in the cabin. It's like somebody said, like, hey, what if we did like a spoof on how there's always random girls in the cabin? And they're like, okay, like... You got like the Pooh Piglet murderous rampage. Christopher Robin comes back. It seems like the story should be. And then they hunt Christopher Robin. But it's like, but because we're doing a campy movie, we're just going to be like, so then they see Christopher Robin and then they run away to a cabin full of girls. All right. Here's a prop bet for the movie. At some point, honey is going to be used suggestively or in a weird kinky way, probably by those girls in the cabin. Oh no! And then, and then it's going, no. and then no. it's going to get violent really fast as soon as you I, see the honey. No, I didn't want to think about that. Oh jeez! Well, let's think about something positive. How about uh, Georgia Tech football? Only That's looking up. Not, it's not that positive. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they were going to shock the world. I'm shocked. Yeah, sorry, Zach. I'm assuming this is... We said this last year on the podcast. Anytime we talk smack about Georgia Tech, we said sorry to Jonathan's friend, Zach. I think that was the same friend who responded back to our tweet about uh, Jeff Collins. Uh, yeah, he's... The man's there's, there's already rumors of Deion Sanders as the next Georgia Tech head coach. Now, that would be wild. He's, you know, quasi from Atlanta being, you know, that he played multiple pro sports in Atlanta, not really being from Atlanta. There you go. Uh, just, Dion, little advice, stay away from that job. Hold out for something better. Yeah, that's, I mean, I watched some of that Jackson State-Florida A&M game, and Florida A&M is really bad, but Jackson State did manhandle him in a way that, like, decent teams should manhandle bad teams. So I don't think he's doing a bad job over there in Mississippi. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's actually doing a really good job and will be up for higher paying gigs in the future if that's what he wants to do. I just wouldn't do that at Tech. You should wait a little bit. Hold yeah. off for something better. Go somewhere where people actually go watch the team or give money to the program. <laughs> yeah, that's not Tech. I, I like even if Deion Sanders showed up and ran that program, I don't think that would I can't say that would guarantee an uptick in dollars coming in. Would you? I mean, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. Like you might I mean I guess the portion of the alumni base that should have disposable income would very much be people who like remember watching Dion play for the Braves and the Falcons. 
But I also don't think that uh, culturally they necessarily are <laughs> would see eye to eye with with Dion or how he would take the you know how he'd approach college football. Maybe they would. I don't know. I I can't talk about tech anymore. There's nothing positive to say. It's just boring. Get good, so it's a rivalry, please. <laughs> Jeez, like get it together. Get your tenth win. Just get ten wins, Jeff. It's seven one time, man. <laughs> like, come I'm on. Talking about, I'm talking about ten just for his whole career. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's right. We're still on ten watch. You don't want to be fired from Georgia Tech, and when the AP you know covers it, they don't want your you know your record to be nine and whatever. Yeah, uh-uh, not good. Don't do that. I did think uh, we'd have a. There was an interesting back and forth in our Discord about the Clifton quarterback thing. Do you have anything to add about that? Uh, DJ's not very good at quarterback. I mean, they have other offensive problems as well, uh, but he's not very good. Yeah. I, I mean, that's it all was there is like, to it. It was like, I don't know, there's always like big, like preseason talk is always like, you know, problem, you know, lots said, we don't really know, you know, a lot was made about, oh, DJ Uangale. Lost 30 pounds. It looks a little bit lighter. It looks like he'll be a little bit faster so we can run some of those, you know, QB design runs that Clemson's known for. And they, you know, Tony Elliott moved on and they got a new offensive coordinator. They did hire from within, but people said, oh, well, it's different. Doesn't really look that different. It's not different. I did hear somebody went and checked and their six coaches on offense have a total of 11 years experience coaching in college. Oof. Yeah. And that's a lot of hires from within. So, look, maybe three, four years from now, those coaches are still there and they've improved a whole lot because coaches get better, right? Just just like players do. But, yeah, right now it's like, oh, you were a first-year coach last year and you coached this offense to doing that. Okay, congratulations. You're promoted. Uh, I'm not so sure they're ready, coach. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense they would go back to what's, you know, familiar to them with like the pistol and the read option and all that stuff. Like that's what they that's what their bosses, you know, taught them how to coach football. You know, it's unreasonable for them to change their entire identity in an offseason with the level of experience that you just mentioned. Uh, I thought it was hilarious seeing even though DJ Uangle lost these 30 pounds, he was still slower than the check self checkout lane at target. And he can't even throw the ball that well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think some of the hope was like, Oh, if he lost some weight, there would be some quickness there. Cause part of it is like his feet are slow. He has bad footwork. And this shows up a lot, like in the passing game. And then there was some hope that maybe he'll be a little bit more mobile, you know, Going back to even last year, last offseason, people had all these ideas about him being some good dual threat running quarterback, which has never, ever been the case. He's never been fast. No, he's more like a Ben Roethlisberger guy. Yeah, exactly. So that stuff was kind of always nonsense. But there was a chance that, you know, some of that could have been improved a little bit after losing some weight. Because, like, if, if guys really changed their physical body composition in college a lot, they can get faster. A lot of like major high level recruits 
who are usually already pretty well physically developed out of high school don't really actually usually get faster. They usually gain a little weight and stay about the same speed. But occasionally, you have a guy who's carrying some bad weight, drops 30 pounds, and does get faster. Um, problem is, he was like 246 in high school when he was a 49740 guy. So like just getting back to 240 or whatever is not going to be some blazer. He's, he's slow. He's not a runner. And he's not an accurate passer. And, like, he was better against Georgia Tech than he was a lot of games last year in that the accuracy was hit and miss instead of just miss. And he did make some big plays and some timely plays, whereas, man, last year it felt like he made no plays. Um, but if he stays hit and miss, it's just a matter of time before he gets replaced, I think. But. Uh-uh. You know, when Cade Klubnick came in the game, I know it was, you know, the game was kind of decided by the time he came in, but it looked more like the traditional clips and offense we're used to seeing where the quarterbacks are able to roll out and, you know, do some things yeah. with athleticism. He's a, a much better runner and a much better athlete than DJ is. That's for sure. Um, and he has, he's a much more accurate passer. So he's just a better athlete, a better runner, and a more accurate passer. I'm not sure if any of those are important to college quarterbacking or not, but. <laughs> well, what do you, do you think there's a, is there any game on Clifton's schedule where you think they're going to be pressed to make a decision about their quarterback? Ooh, that's a good question, but I'm going to do it whenever they want. Cause these days you can lose a game. And as long as you win your conference title, you can finish with a one loss and you're still in the playoff. Yeah. So, I mean, their next, their next two games are Furman and Louisiana Tech. So, certainly, they have at least a couple weeks to get it figured out at minimum. After that, they have Wake, NC State, Boston College, Florida State. Yeah. So, there's a little, a little stretch there where you have, like, you know, real actual teams with pulses for four weeks in a row. Yep, some better than others, of course, but like they would probably like to have the quarterback stuff figured out before they go into that stretch. But yeah, I mean, Wake Forest might put him in a situation if if Sam Hartman comes back for the he's he's back. Is he back? Yeah, they say he's back today. Well, Clemson might be in a situation. I don't know. Clemson's defense is pretty pretty good. It, it is, but I wouldn't be surprised if Wake, you know, scored some points on them. And right. Clemson's had such a hard time scoring points. But Clemson's defense is good enough where they could get pretty poor quarterback play and have an offense that struggles and still go 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one. No problem. Yeah. Florida State has some – I think they got some – talented guys on their D-line, they could give them some trouble. Like, they could have a hard time scoring against Florida State. Yeah, well, uh, where, they'll fi- where they could find themselves in trouble is that four-game stretch of Wake, NC State, Boston College, Florida State. If DJ used your quarterback, you're facing a team with a better quarterback four weeks in a row. Oof. And, and those teams don't necessarily have as good of teams as you or as much talent overall. They certainly don't have defenses as good as your defense but you're playing a better quarterback four weeks in a row so there's always a chance that one or two of those weeks 
quarterback plays really, really well, and you drop a game, right? Yeah. The last four games on the schedule might be – that might be – you know, if they don't figure it out by then, those last four games might be tough. Not talk well, three of those last four games. One of those games is Louisville. They stink. Yeah. Uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, mm. Like you're, you're, that's basically a playoff game because you're one of those teams is probably looking to still have a shot, assuming they're both, you know, one loss teams are better. And the other teams probably look on the outside looking into the playoff. And then you have yeah. Miami and South Carolina to finish off the season. You know, and as the season plays out, we'll see how good some of these teams actually are or aren't, right? Because they won't all be good. You know, Clemson's not going to end up with, you know, eight top 25 teams on their schedule or something like some of these teams will be better than others. But right now they're pretty one-sided. And if you're a one-sided team and you're in at risk of dropping a game a lot more often, right? It's really easy to be win nine games by being elite on one side of the ball. But, you know, you got to be at least competent on the other side of the ball to not drop some of those games. So that's kind of their question is like, can they get too competent on offense this year? They could with the right trigger, man. I'm like, I don't, I think I've seen enough of DJ on the way to decide. I don't, you know, it's harsh to say that he just sucks as a quarterback. So I'm going to say he might be a better fit somewhere else in Clemson. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. And and the thing is too, it just does still have a lot of talent, you know. At least as far as having a big, strong arm, and maybe they can find a way to get things working this year. But I think I said he sucks as a throw. He actually does have a good arm. He just, you know, it's not very accurate. Sometimes he yeah. kind of reads the play a little, a little slowly. Like Stetson Bennett could do better in the Clemson offense than DJ by a landslide. Yeah, exactly. And if if Stetson was a quarterback at Clemson, you'd have a lot of people talking about how bad of a job they were doing by having Stetson at quarterback and how bad their offense was and how it was Stetson Bennett's fault. <laughs> but DJ is tall and was a five star and could throw the ball real far. So Yeah. Yeah, if you if you look at SP plus, just for example, when you start looking at like the real top group of teams you don't have any teams where one side of the ball is just terrible. And and by terrible here, I mean like, you know, I don't know, 40th in the nation. Because when there's 60 Power 5 teams, 40th means you're like in the bottom third of the Power 5. So for, you know, especially for your blue blood teams, <laughs> that's pretty terrible. And if you look at the teams you start getting into the you know bottom half of the top 10 you already start to have some of those bad units showing up and it's those bad units that are holding them down like Texas A&M whose defense is good and whose offense really hasn't been good definitely shaky yeah you know Clemson whose defense is awesome but their offense holds them back Tennessee, who's actually in the top 10 in SP+, whose offense is great and whose defense is 46th. You know, Wisconsin, whose defense is also really good and whose offense is 50th. You know, and so those are those are the kind of teams that 
they're good. I mean, Clemson can go out there, play their best game on defense, and hang with anybody when their defense only gives up seven points. It's always a game, right? On the days where Tennessee scores 45, they're in any game. But the problem is you got to play the other side of the ball too. And there's games where you give up a special team score or turnovers hurt you. And so somebody scores 21 on Clemson, even though the defense didn't give it up or Tennessee throws some picks or has an off day or whatever. Right. So you got to, you got to be good on both sides of the ball. If you want to get up in, in like real playoff contention, which I guess that's kind of what's interesting about most of the top 10 really is like, which of those teams can get it together on the side of the ball where they're weak right now. Because presumably with that many teams, one of those teams is going to get it together enough, right? Like yeah. A&M's going to get their offense sorted enough, or Clemson will, or Wisconsin will, or Tennessee will have enough defensive improvement. But, yeah, I think there was, I mean, talk about teams that I think improved, we, that were already really good on one side of the ball and needed to improve the other. I think that was Georgia last year. But I don't think it was much fault of their own that they started out the year kind of, you know, hobbled on offense because they were really hobbled and hurt coming out of camp. Yeah, that was injury-driven, right? That was multiple years in a row of losing your starting quarterback and sometimes your first two or three quarterbacks, which is generally considered to be an outlier, right? Like, normally it's like, oh, if you lose your starting quarterback the day before the season starts, people are, like, understanding that, hey— Season might not go how you expected. None of those other programs have that, right? Like Tennessee didn't have like five defensive starters transfer all of a sudden. They're just bad on defense. How about we? So we're talking about super conference alignment. Why don't we have one league that's of schools that are only committed to being good on offense? So that would include, mm. you know, a lot of the Big Twelve, and then the other league is teams that are only committed to being good on defense for your Iowa's and your Wisconsin's and you know, all those other like schools that play def- or Stanford teams that play tough defense and still line up in the I formation. And then the champion of both leagues play each other every year. That would be fun. You could have like in league rules, like NASCAR style restrictor plates, right? Where it's like, Hey guys, you're only allowed to have a defensive efficiency, like up to this point. You have to give up like a minimum of four points per drive or else we'll penalize you and just add points to their score. Do it for Dale. Do it for Dale. Is that why nobody uh, apparently pays attention to NASCAR anymore? I have never paid attention to NASCAR, so you're Uh, asking the wrong person. Neither have I. Was there any other uh, sports items you want to go over as we wrap things up? Nope. Do it for Dale. Do it for Dale. You heard it here. Uh, yeah, that'll do it for a show. We'll we'll meet some t- next time next week. Hopefully, we'll have Jonathan back and maybe even our new friend Kevin. All right. Bye.